Welcome to the Conditional Release Program, a podcast that delves into the netherworld of cults, crims and con artists. We don't like these people in its shows. We believe the best way to expose them is to hold them up to a harsh light, point our index fingers in their general direction and mock them mercilessly, take them down a peg or two until they cease to exist in any other form than the shit on our shoes. I'm Jack the Insider, otherwise known as Peter Hoisted for tax purposes. And I'm Joel Hill, and on today's program, we have special guest Daniel Morrison talking about the hard right funding of cooker protest and these astroturf convoys all around the world. I want to say thank you, Daniel, who yes. some listeners will know you, under Daniel. his pseudonym Hamilton Hume. Yes, Daniel is out and proud under his real name now, and he's an expert on propaganda, psyops, and general civilian proselytising for ugly motives. We're very glad to have him on to discuss the Canadian convoy and who was behind it all. Yes, and meanwhile, Donald Trump has had yet another terrible week, Shut and up. it looks like it's only getting worse. Yes, Joel, who could have foreseen that right-wing Fruit Loop and Trump advisor Roger Stone could somehow cause the Trumps to a problem? God forbid, God forbid. <laughs> and we're going to get to it all right now in glorious bloody details. Detail in the Conditional Release Program's weekly news. And we kick the news off with a correction, as we should. And last week, we told you the story of the Battle of Snake Island, where we claimed that the 13 Ukrainian guards on the island were killed by shelling from a Russian destroyer and uh, mocked up in an attack by Russian Marines on the island. We said, or I said, but Joel made me that you yes. could take that story to the bank. Well, maybe mm. just the Russian Central Bank, uh, which could frankly do it <laughs> a deposit right now, because those 13 guards are alive and are now Russian POWs. Oh. The rest of the story appears to be true. The Russian destroyer radioed the guards on the island only to be told to go fuck themselves. That was recorded Very audio good. and also taken from a live shot by one of the guards on the island. But we fucked up and we're happy to set the record straight. Also, a conditional release program in turn has been severely beaten. He didn't like it much, but it made us feel better. And that's the thing. I find that people often dwell on how the victim feels about these sort of acts of violence, <laughs> but I never the better. perpetrators. I feel, I feel so much better. I just feel so much better. And, you know, if we've got to crack a few eggs to make a feel-good omelette, I'm going to take it. But look, Jack, the disinformation machine, as we said, is going to be absolutely full steam over the next while. Don't trust fucking anything you hear unless it comes from us. Actually, you can't trust us can't trust you us. Can't trust, can't trust you us. You can't trust anyone. So, look, it's war, okay, and it's a digital war. So just fuck it. Sit back, smoke a joint. And listen to an album you haven't listened to in a while. Maybe buy some nice headphones. Now's the time to do it. Because honestly, it's just all too fucking much. Tune out. Tune out. But you can listen to the album later because now we need to discuss the insanity taking place across the pond. Yeah. Now, it turns out that Aotearoa is actually completely fucked. I mean, we thought our cookers were bad. But holy shit, the Kiwis are next level. Right up there. World champs. And we have said before, and the wheels are in motion, that we will get a guest to really unravel this because it's been fascinating, especially how fucking feisty they are. But the New Zealand zine is this whole universe onto itself, and the Aotearoa thing has so many characteristics that we just won't do justice to. We don't get you people. We don't. And to, for us to make an episode on it, we'll just miss a whole bunch of nuance. But we can report a few things that are straight from the mounted policeman's mouth. And a huge thanks to at lack of toast on Twitter for giving Thank me you. a shitload of stuff to look at. Like, I yes, mean, it's just a huge you. thanks because it just makes my life so much easier to find this shit. Great Twitter handle, by the way, too. Lack of toast. <laughs> yeah, I like it. very good. On Wednesday, the 2nd of March, New Zealand police evicted the anti-everything protesters from Wellington and they did not go quietly into night nope. at all. They'd set up this 
elaborate campsite, like a fucking village over 23 days, which featured their own toilet block they dubbed the Peahive, which is after the parliament's nickname, the Beehive, which oh. was, of course, drained into wastewater instead of sewage, which <laughs> created this whole environmental issue that these libertarian halfwits, hippie knuckle draggers, just couldn't quite understand. What's the problem there? What's the problem? It's all just water, right? Like, fuck, 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 fuck. But aside from that, similar to this sort of quagmire in Ottawa, Wellington had been taken over by these COVID-infected angry idiots who are harassing businesses, causing shit, and just serving people with these soft set of restaurants after they're being slighted by asking, you know, please wear a mask. And they're just poo-covered plague rat pests. (laughs) Not much hygiene. Not much going on. It's bad. It's bad. So while most people left when the police showed they really meant business, and it was a long time coming, leaders of the movement, as usual, insisted people stay and hold the line. And fucking hold the line they did. They left their cars to be towed away by police, often leaving dogs in the car to make it harder for police to move them. That is so bad. Fuck, these people are scumbags. And the police, I love this. They didn't like get a tow truck. They just used a forklift to move cars. (laughs) Just fork under, lift, move. Fork down. Bit of chassis damage. Nah, don't yeah. worry about it. Nah, fuck them. The camera convoy were pissing and moaning about having their cars towed by professional towers who towed them down the road to a free parking area and didn't charge them. To, yeah, to legal parking, yeah, to legal free parking. Mm. Yeah, like they did them a fucking favour. But the Kiwi is like, nah, you are boxes in a warehouse. Move. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So, look, in a similar move to the Canberra convoy, that let's face it, actually left with far less violence. Like the Canberra convoy were assholes, but nothing like this. The protesters were openly discussing online the use of children as human shields, putting on the front lines because it limits the amount of options a police have. Like, you know, you can't use pepper sprays liberally. You can't use LRADs in the same way. But this is just the kind of thing they do because at the end of the day, police are going to use pepper spray if you come at them. And if your kid gets in the way of that, that's because you're a bad parent. A terrible, terrible parent. Save the children by getting them pepper sprayed. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's character building, right? So they also set fire to things. And I mean lots of things. They made yeah, like big, big tent bonfires like they're at a fucking music festival. Set fire to a few really old trees over 100 years old. It was really sad and people got all sentimental about that. And I get that. That's fair. They also set fire to a fucking playground. <laughs> like who sets fire to a playground? One absolute piece of shit said, if we can't have it, they can't have it. Like, who says that about a playground? Take that, Rolly Polly. Take that, swings and slides. Just no. Anyway, so look, protesters then just belted the police with bottles, random debris, and bricks. And not only did they throw bricks at people, but a few enterprising yoga mum types. There's like pictures of them, and they're like, they are so pilled. You look at them, and you're like, why are you there? <laughs> they were pulling bricks from the sidewalk to throw at police. <laughs> That is so hardcore. They play havoc like, with their nails. It's, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. They're going to have to get manny and petty when they get home. If they go home, that's the thing. Yeah. So the optic on this, they weren't great. So, of course, what they did is they went on to blame Antifa and made these bullshit posts with Antifa, you know, (laughs) gloating about how they, like, you know, were throwing bricks and all, you know, setting fires and shit. No, 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 no. All the bad stuff. Put it down to Antifa. Mm. Of course. And the great thing about this is because they're such fucking morons and they have that one common trait of being, like, borderline illiterate, they're writing these posts. But it's like as if basically said, we are Antifa and we throw stuff and we set fires. Like, you're not convincing. 
Like, get your cousin to write it or something because you're not smart and it comes through in the post. The whole thing was so easily debunked. It's, it's not even ruction convincing, you know. It, no, it, it was embarrassing. It wasn't even that level of convincing. It was Monica Smith level of convincing. Just basically like three kids set standing on each other with a trench coat. That's how convincing it was. <laughs> no, you can't have the six-pack of beer and the pack of Marlboros and why do you want them, your three five-year-olds? Anyway, so there were also rumours that protests were throwing pool police. There were improvised explosives made from lithium batteries oh no there's definitely throw it wasn't a rumor they threw they well, threw poo yeah i have actually heard that the poo is contested fact that is contested fact and that's something lack of toast told me and yeah. at this point i'm taking lack of toast on their word so i'm like i'm not sure but honestly like it's not beyond them well whether it was dog poo or human human poo it was refuse it was bodily refuse and um and yeah definitely definitely the cops were talking about it as something yeah, and, that happened to them. And there was acid as well. Um, and that was another thing was contested. We're really not sure. Talk of acid, yeah, not verified. But it could be God knows <laughs> what. But look, this is the sort of thing. It's the same thing as a fucking Ukraine thing. Like, who knows what the goddamn truth is? All we know is that these people suck. I mean, they're using dogs as human shields. So fuck them. Anyway, they also claimed the Parliament Building, which is the beehive, as you said, was emitting EMF, like a me- electromagnetic uh, field, uh, that was burning no. the protesters and giving them, wait for it, wait for it, flu-like symptoms. Uh-oh. No, it's not EMF. It's COVID and sunburn. <laughs> it's COVID and sunburn. Why are you people like this? Why? Why? It's, it's COVID and sunburn. Fuck. Anyway, look, it's just... It's just flu, so annoying. Flu-like COVID. Yeah, flu-like symptoms. COVID, COVID, COVID. And in another, these people are all the fucking same moment because, I mean, like, they're doing the exact same shit as us. The donations have vanished. Oh, how'd that Uh-oh. possibly happen? Everyone's pointing fingers at each other about where the fucking money went. They even have their own Ricardo Bozzi over there called Damien Dement. Like, oh, yes. He's Saw like, him. I'm going to hang everyone. Yeah, like, it's, this, this, it's so funny. Like, these people... Like they read off a script. They're all it's, the fucking it, same. It, it, it's it's like our it's like our, our protest has been directed by Jermaine Clement and um, <laughs> <laughs> written by Taika Waititi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, directed by Taika Waititi and, 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 and starring Jermaine Clement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Reese Darby's got to be in there somewhere. Just like well, like that, uh, like a wandering idiot hippie or something. He'd be great. Actually, he would he would play a great cooker he would be very funny oh, anyway indeed. yes absolutely we're going to we we'll have to make this happen so basically of course they've got like their sob sits these idiots in jackets that say common law sheriff on it like i'm guessing that like you know, you, you love the polo shirt you, you're open about the polo shirt but in new zealand it gets cold at night right like you know it's getting a bit chilly yeah so you're gonna, you you're gonna, gonna have that sort of law enforcement toughness that's what the polo shirt's about you know so yeah. you're, walking around, you're walking around wellington it's it's eight degrees and you got the polo shirt on you're scaring people just by yeah. the fact that you can overcome cold it says i don't give a fuck it also says i'm wearing a t-shirt but it's got a collar so watch out <laughs> the thing is though like realistically what's happened here is toy stores run out of badges and they've had to resort to you know much more elaborate things i get it it's hard it's hard so look the occupation of wellington has been fucking intense the eviction was next level i'm like i'm not even angry i'm just impressed like i never thought the kiwi cookers would be the world's best they are properly showing themselves to be pioneers in the field well also copycat bitches we have a bozy get your own but well they do have their own uh <laughs> but like in the field of anti-vax lunacy they are are truly giving the Canadians a run for their money who right now feel like the front runners. But we aren't done yet. There is another contender in the works. Mm. The obvious true superpower of behaving badly is stepping up to the plate the as we one. speak. So let's see how the heavily armed United States of America does it. 
Will they upstage us all? Yeah, probably. A big red, white, and blue one. Yes, yes. A thousand vehicle convoy. Big rigs, 18 wheelers, RVs, mm. and camper vans are assembled in Maryland and poised to head to Washington, D.C. for the U.S. version of the truckers' convoy. A protest <laughs> concept they stole from Australian cookers in Canberra who did the impossible by having a truck convoy without trucks, who in turn stole the idea from Canada, who actually did have trucks. They did. Never let it be said that cookers show any form of of originality. Nope. And with the US truck convoy assembling close to the US capital, one big question is where will they go? Will they stay outside the DC Beltway, which is basically the freeway network outside the capital itself? Or will all thousand vehicles enter the capital and cause havoc? The organisers aren't saying. Asked about the group's plans, People's Convoy organiser Mike Landis said, we're going to keep annoying DC, just make them wonder a little bit. He continued... Look, we're truck drivers. We're very spontaneous. <laughs> the larger question is why? <laughs> I wouldn't what? have thought that about spontaneous. We're very, very sneaky. We're very, very sneaky. They're really not spontaneous. You know, you're, no. you're actually paid to go from one place to another and On leave a at a certain schedule. time and get there at a, at a fixed time as well. Yeah, not very spontaneous at all. Very planned, very structured, not spontaneous. Yeah. Anyway, the larger question is Basically, why? Yeah, we can time your meth smoking to a schedule. <laughs> Why are these Marga hat-wearing freedom squawkers assembling in the nation's capital? Mask mandates are all but gone across the 50 states. Yep. Vaccine mandates don't yep. exist in the US. There are no state-to-state COVID-related measures that could possibly impinge on interstate truckers' movements and, and their work duties. Uh-huh. The Teamsters Union has no dog in the fight. It's not about industrial action. Yep. What it is is a political rally funded by the far right to cause maximum chaos. Just so we know where this all comes from, the truckers in Maryland held several signs that read Trump won, not not O-N-E, W-O-N, Trump won. Yes, that is right, that is right. Yes, and uh, the Betfair punters would definitely agree with that sentiment. But uh, look, it's typical of these guys. They just want to say fuck Joe Biden all the time. This is just an elaborate fuck Joe Biden. And God, they're boring. It's a politically funded rally from from the far right. Fucking ridiculous. And these cunts are about to get all this money from Build Back Better, which they're so vehemently opposed to. You're all about to get manufacturing jobs thanks to Biden. And you know what? You're not going to say thank you because you're in great shit. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that because that is a whole overflow episode. We should talk about the State of the Union and overflow. We'll keep an eye on the convoy, though, the convoy to nowhere, and where it ends up, if anywhere, in future episodes because we find this stuff very funny, as long as they are funny, that is. But we have more on the nature funding and groups who organize these Occupy-style protests in our Just Asking Questions, Just Asking Questions, which is the deeper dive that's no longer called the deeper dive. So when we have guests, which we have this week, Daniel Morrison, we're just asking questions, just asking questions. We're just asking questions and we'll just ask questions later in this episode. We are just asking questions. We are. And in meanwhile, in related news, the Trumpster, Master POTUS45, has had another bad week, Jack. This is really a shocker. So on Thursday evening, AEDT, the select committee into the Jan 6 insurrection, announced a legal filing that Trump may have engaged in a felony while attempting to subvert the 2020 presidential election. The committee has argued that attorney-client privilege should be waived in testimony and documents being kept by John Eastman, a lawyer for Trump, and one of the architects of the plan to disrupt the Electoral College count on Jan 6. The select committee also has a good faith basis for concluding that the president and members of his campaign engaged in a criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States, it was alleged. Mm. The attorney-client privilege is waived under US federal law when documents uh, relate uh, to a criminal act. Oh, 
interesting. So the committee said it believes Eastman and Trump took part in a federal crime that carries a maximum penalty of five years in prison and a $500,000 fine. Mm. Eastman exercised his Fifth Amendment uh, right against self-incriminating testimony 146 separate times when he gave testimony in December last year. That's a lot. That is a lot of time. 146. That's crazy. Well, the, well, the, the crux of the matter is that Eastman had written to Vice President Mike Pence urging the VEEP to uh, delay the Electoral College vote for a period of 10 days. And Pence, as we know, refused, of course. But in that letter, the Select Committee believes that Eastman acknowledged that what he was requesting on behalf of the Donald was, in fact, illegal. He actually Ooh. said, look, I know this is... I know this is very dodgy. This is actually a crime in progress, but I'd like uh, you to do it anyway. The committee wrote, plaintiff knew uh, knew what he was proposing would violate the law, but he nonetheless urged the vice president to take those actions. That's where we get to the waiving of attorney-client privilege. Heavy. Yeah, so that's one bad thing. But the day, the bad day oh, got a whole more. lot worse uh, when the committee released damning testimony from Trump's close aides who said that they repeatedly told him that conspiracy Conspiracy theories around the election were bogus and had mm. been re- refuted by a Department of Justice investigation. Yeah. Trump campaign senior advisor Jason Miller, for instance, told the committee that he had several conversations with Trump in which he told the president that, and I quote, specific to election day fraud and irregularities, there were not enough to overturn the election, unquote. Miller also said that he was in, at an Oval Office meeting while the votes were still being counted, during which Trump was told outright he was going going to lose the vote. Oh, he would have loved that. And this is from Miller again. I remember Matt Oskoski, who was a campaign data specialist, uh, delivered to the president in pretty blunt terms that he was going to lose. That was Miller's testimony. In separate testimony, former acting Deputy Attorney General Richard Donahue told Trump that his claims of fraud had been checked by the Department of Justice and were completely bogus. Even after being told on multiple separate occasions that there was no evidence of fraud, Trump still threatened to fire Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen and replace him with Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Division, Jeffrey Clark, who was promising to announce that non-existent fraud had likely happened and to tell state legislatures to reconsider their votes. He was also going Mm. to seize a number of voting machines. Ah. Donahue testified, the president said something to the effect of, what do I have to lose? If I do this, what do I have to lose? <laughs> so that's basically no. saying, I know I've lost the election, but if I can test it to this point, to this criminal point, what do I have to lose? And he was actually told, you have a great deal to lose. You know, you were going <laughs> yeah. to... You are going, going to torture entire administration and cause a great deal of angst around the country. And how about you, you know, destroying the American empire? How about that? Is that fact? Yeah. No, no. What personal liability? And that's all you give a shit about, you narcissistic fucking trout. Well, it's uh, it's 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 like the old steak knife set, uh, Joel. Uh, <laughs> because finally, <laughs> there's more. Ugh, Jesus. Uh, the committee says it's possible Trump engaged in a conspiracy with the rioters on. The, on the day on, on January 6th mm-hmm. but the committee has established less evidence in that respect but that may be about to change because <laughs> later that day another piece that of day. the puzzle fell in, 
into place regarding potential links between Trump and the Jan 6 mob. After the Jan 6 committee's filing, the Department of Justice announced that a member of of the Oath Keepers militia, Joshua James, pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy for his role in organising the attack on the Capitol. Why is that bad for Trump? Well, James had previously been photographed as a bodyguard for Trump confidant and his political fixer, Roger Stone. Which brings us to Roger Stone, who was, and you have to take a moment to draw breath to fully appreciate the hubris. And I urge listeners, this having a look at the, the stone tapes on the Washington Post is worth the price of your subscription. Uh, and they've got a special on the moment, so I think it'll, it won't cost you anything for the first month. It's really well, worth look looking. This, this is a guy who knows he's being filmed, running around and committing felonies. It's just unbelievable. Because, yeah, like he's, he's got a documentary crew behind him and he's saying illegal shit. He's got, yeah, it was a, it was a Danish documentary team. Amazing hubris. Uh, running around behind. Him and he's just out, out and proud, just com- committing all these, committing all these felonies. Fuck! And before, before the Jan Six blew up, and he scuttled so out of DC. He turned his uh, free Roger Stone face mask inside out, so you wouldn't see the Roger Stone thing while he fled to the airport. Brilliant. Yeah. And look, the video has has been published, as I say, in the Washington Post, and, and as I said, I said, listeners, you know, if you if you enjoy this kind of stuff, you've got to have a look at it. It includes Stone attempting to sell presidential pardons at a hundred thousand dollars a pop, which is just unbelievable. Just out, just doing it openly. That's- just and crazy. threatening the president's son-in-law with a serious thumping. Joel. Yeah, here we go. Quote, Jared Kushner is going to get a beating. He needs to have a beating and needs to be told, this time we're just beating you. Next time we're killing you. Ooh. That's fucking crazy. So apparently he was urged to say that he was joking. And Stone like doubled down hard. I was just like, no, it isn't joking. Not joking. It's not a joke. Which just feels like the thing that they're going to bring up in a courtroom later. But anyway, never mind. You know, I was just kidding. No, you weren't. Actually, you said explicitly on the video that you weren't. So Stone (laughs) also said that Kushner should be punished in the most brutal possible way, which just sounds like sort of weird sexually violent fantasies at this point and would be brain dead when I get finished with him. What? After January 6th, Stone then turned to Trump, turned on Trump, who he said deserved to be impeached, which he, which he was, and whose presidency had been, quote, the greatest single mistake in American history. So Stone's off the wagon. Yeah, that's very interesting. And uh, that's going to have a lot of implications for his relationships around the place. But we'll see how that plays out. Here's a quote from him. A good long sentence in prison will give him a chance to think about it because the Southern District is coming for him and he did nothing, Stone said. This is referring to prosecutors in New York who are investigating Trump's business and all the various things he's going to get fucked over on. Stone also mocked Trump's apparent plan to run again, saying, run again you'll get your fucking brains beat in. There's that weird violence again. And then he told the filmmakers, obviously, if you use any of that, I'll murder you. (laughs) (laughs) And now Stone's Oathkeeper bodyguard is due to give state evidence. There's the link. There's the link right there. Roll, roll. It's going to be very, very interesting. And I get the feeling Trump's bad week is about to turn into a terrible month and a fucking awful year. Good, fuck him. I'll do anything for you. 
And the Conditional Relief Program is proudly brought to you today by the Russian Central Bank, Bank Rossi. Listeners, if you've got some spare rubles lying around, stored in a shoebox under the bed, now worth a quarter of what they once were, or not making a cracker after you bought a Premier League footy club, (laughs) why not switch over to Bank Rossi, where the interest rate just hit 22%. Wow. A good incentive to save. (laughs) If you've been thinking about a sea change and you've had your eye on that Dakar in the Crimea, Bank Rossi can help with financing. Or if you've got so much, you know, maybe you can help them. Uh, please, please, they need greenbacks, euros, pounds and fucking pens, crypto, any fucking yes. thing. Please join yes. the queue in one of our three modern locations, Moscow, Stalingrad or Leningrad. <laughs> Picky grad. And don't forget to check T's and C's. In the event of a run on Bank Rossi, you may be reimbursed in office furniture. <laughs> Which bank? Bank Rossi. Please bring money. I think one of the first things it says within the Constitution is all laws within all... within. And with the velvet tones of intellectual gargantua, Thanos the Manos, he never met a Constitution he didn't love, Panayetes... He didn't Gently like Gently nudging our Eustachian tubes. It means it's time for which Black Bill Fuckwit said that. The quiz show that listeners can play at home and scream Fuckwit louder and louder until the police arrive and tell you to keep it the fuck down. <laughs> I hope they're listeners. <laughs> and if you're successful in today's which Black Bill Fuckwit said that, you'll be the proud owner of a Bank Rossi gift card worth over a 1,000 rubles, which, if I just check the foreign exchange, is worth... Just over 12 cents, Joel. So, you know, don't spend it all at once. Is that one red frog now or two? I can't keep up. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Oh, you, won't get a, you won't get a whole red frog for that. No? No. What? You just get like the rear legs or something? <laughs> you just get the head. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Look, right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Here we go. Now, this, uh, this first question or first quote comes from Stuart Day, who tells me he's not to be called Ian because I may oh, yes. have called him Ian once before. That's right. Sorry, that Ian. Was, that was very I funny. I mean, Stuart. Whoops. Beloved yeah. patron Stuart, Stuart Day. He signs your paychecks. Name him properly. Name I him did, properly. I did, yes. And, and you know, there was an implicit apology there. I like it. <laughs> Here's good. the quote. Falling on your sword's good. If the planet is about to end in climate change in capitals for some reason. Yeah, yeah okay. If the planet is about to end in a climate change apocalypse due to carbon emissions, why isn't war banned? <laughs> It seems well, ordinary people aren't allowed to own a car, but no. it's totally fine for the world's virtue signalling superpowers to burn cities to the ground. I think we should also ban bushfires. <laughs> Just right. ban them outright. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, President Putin. War's been banned. Yes, um, that's it. Yeah. You, sorry, oh, sorry oh. volcano. Uh, you've I- been banned. Um, we've decided that you're too bad for the climate. We're just going to call you quits. <laughs> I'm going. I'm just going to have to drug a lot of Olympic athletes again. You know, and <laughs> just try and win the world over through patriotism. You know, sporting patriotism. So oh, that was works. a superb quote. Now, was it? The fires will go out when we've finished burning all the Nazis, Simeon Boykov. Oh, okay. Was it climate change is bullshit? The only thing that matters is rescuing those children 10 kilometres under the Earth's surface, Ricardo Bossi. Yeah. Was it becoming more confused by the day? Are we for Russia or again it? Can someone tell me what to think, Alexandra Ellie Melly Marshall? Bless her heart. Or was it war? What is it good for? Absolutely everything. Russian head of the <laughs> army, Valery Gerasimov. Okay. Well, this one 
I'm going to have to answer uh, with a heavy heart. This is why you have to bury the quote. Make sure that the quote is buried. Uh... Put it down, write an intro, make sure, because Gmail shows you the start of the email in the fucking title line. And I avert my eyes, but Jesus Christ, guys, there's only so much I can do. Please bury the quote, Alexander Marshall. We still love you, Stuart, because you you do cracking work. The good Very news is quote. the good news that the run on the rubles continued, so it's, you're only getting nine cents now. <laughs> if you manage to get the next two questions right, I am still angry about the red frog. I love this bit. I love this bit. It seems ordinary people aren't allowed to. Where own did that a car. come from? What? Where did that come from? Where does that what? come from? You actually want to look at car ownership and the price of cars compared to median income. Cars have never been cheaper. Never been cheaper. It's insane. It's completely insane. The whole thing is just nuts. And depending on the state you are, you can drive death traps on the road with like fucking impunity. In New South Wales, okay, you have basic conditions, but in Queensland, you can basically drive a wooden spoon. It's really <laughs> they don't have strong rego requirements up there. Ellie Melly, you're an idiot. You're just a fucking idiot. But you're also a child. No one should listen to you. <laughs> well, all, all I can tell you is that she's, she's, she's a lot, like a lot of these, they call themselves conservatives, but they're not. They're reactionaries. Yes, exactly. And they're very confused because now they have to sort of hate Putin, but they actually mm. quite like Putin. And that's the yeah. thing, you know. So, so alpha male. They fucking love alpha and, male. And they'll carry on. Oh, they'll, they'll sort of come to their senses and go, oh, Putin's a communist. Well, he's not really. No, he's not a fucking communist. He's a kleptocrat. He, uh, he's he's really over on your side, and you know Very why? Much so. You know how we know? Because you're fucking che- you've been cheering him on all until this moment, and you've gone, oh, now now what do we think? You know? Yeah. Fucking right. hell. And look, look, some of them are still going full circle and saying that Putin's a good guy. You know. Yeah, that, that's that's not that's many. the killed stuff we talked about. Before. Not many. Well, there's some interesting takes on Telegram. All right, so you you, you got a freebie there, Joe, and I don't like it. Yeah, it was a freebie. This, it was this a freebie. is actually this is actually really tough. <laughs> oh, no. Here's the question: You know, they say about America, diversity is our strength today. You know, I look at China, I look at Russia. Can we give a round of applause for Russia? Oh fuck me! This was after the invasion, by the way. Can we give a round of applause for Russia? Was it? Georgia Republican Rep Marjorie Taylor Greene, Arizona Republican Rep Paul Gozar, was it not representative but a Republican among other things, Nick Fuentes, or was it nine-term Republican former Iowa Rep Steve King? Yeah, you didn't leave me a lot of fucking space here. Look, I'm going to go with Fuentes. Yes, absolutely right. Yes, you've just won. Let me check. You've just won seven cents. Fuck! My red frog is getting smaller and smaller. I'm not it's cool with this. I have to compromise for a green frog. It was, in fact, Fuentes. This was the America First Political Action Conference. That's the one, yeah. In Orlando on yeah. February 25. He's a little uh, fucking Fuentes Nazi. went on to say, and now they're going on about Russia and Vladimir Putin is Hitler. They say that's not a good thing with a laugh. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, really is a terrible right. piece of Word. Yeah, he's but Joel, here's the here's the really critical thing. Guess who else was there <laughs> listening to Mr. Fuentes? Marjorie Taylor Greene, Georgia Republican yeah. Rep. Marjorie, Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene, Arizona yeah. Republican Rep. Paul Gozza wasn't there this year. He was there last year, yeah. <laughs> and nine-term Republican former Iowa Rep. A man known for many many racist outbursts over the years. Steve King. He was there. Yeah, he was there. Just this a peeled time clown too. convention. Fucking disgusting. I just yeah. I mean. 
Oh, it's so hard to reconcile all this sort of stuff. Like I said, smoke a joint, put an album, just tune out. Because this is fuck. Finish the podcast. No, not now. No, listen to us. Black and fuck I, I mean, go. And download our episode <laughs> several times. Joel's on track to win three cents here. No um, wonder our fucking listenership's going down. I keep telling him to stop listening to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not smart. All no. right. Here's a quote. As soon as the pandemic narrative begins to lose power, we see a ramp up of the rhetoric against Russia. Why? Because it is the beat. I think it's meant, it's meant to say best. Make it uh, a little bit yes. clumsy with the fingers there. Because Whoopsie. it is the best way to hide what is happening on the ground worldwide medically. Uh-huh. There's some conspiracies there, Giles. Strong. Was that? Strong. Resigned UAP Senate candidate in New South Wales, Sean Ambrose. Was a disendorsed UAP candidate for the federal seat of McNamara in Melbourne, Earl, Earl Jefferson. Oh, was like it, it head of the Australia One Party, which isn't a party, not a political party. <laughs> I don't think it's the sort of party you'd want to attend on a Saturday night. Ricardo no, Bozzi. The drinks are very shoddy. Or was it resigned UAP candidate for the federal seat of Flinders in Melbourne, South East Morgan C. Jonas pulled the pin yesterday. Uh, I think it's I think it's A. I think it's Sean Ambrose. Oh. No, Fuck. You missed Morgan? You missed yeah. No, Earl Jefferson. Oh what? Earl, Who the Earl fuck Jefferson. No, oh, they've uh. all the, the thing about this is I mean, with, with the possible exception of Jonas, I haven't seen any quotes, but uh, Ambrose, Earl Jefferson, he <coughs> Ambrose resigned. Jefferson got disendorsed because they were both pro, pro-Putin. And Bosnia, yeah. of course, is pro-Putin. I, I, I'll cut Morgan C. Jonas some slack, I, uh, who is uh, the, the beau of... Um, Monica Smith. Of, of Monica Smith, of course, uh, but I'll cut him some slack because I haven't heard him babbling in any sort of uh, pro-Putin way, but he did... Don't cut him any slack. Don't cut him any slack at all. Well, Believe me. He did, he, well, well, what we can tell you is that he... Ha- it's coming. ...has pulled the pin um, with UAP, so it, that would be a serious fracture between Monica and the leadership of Reignite Democracy Australia and Wait, the UAP. And- Believe me, it was Monica basically saying, babe, this isn't working for us. We need to change direction because the cookers have gone more cooked than we have and we need to do a handbrake turn into their arms again. It's embarrassing. And look, honestly, it's just an about face for a dying organization. Fuck you, RDA. We won't miss you. You didn't do what you wanted to do. And now you have to try and be a travel blogger again, Monica. Yeah. With all of these people, and we can go back to the second question with uh, Taylor Green and Gozar and Fuentes and others, and, and include in this in this group Ambrose, Jefferson and Bozzy. You know, yeah. I've said this before, you know, two words which should send a shiver up their spines, internment camps, you know. Yes. Imagine having to yeah. share a bunk bed with Bozzy. <laughs> you would be hung. That's, that's how this would work well, out. Maybe even well hung. Well, and if. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, prison does strange things to a man. Anyway, mm. now we ask listeners to uh, send us an email if they come across something really, really stupid said by Black Bill Fuckwits. We want your input, listeners. If you've recently come across something posted that is so odd, so bizarre that it can only be appreciated by the criminally stupid, drop us a line. Send you a stubby holder. Same thing as always, man. Send us a quote, but bury the motherfucker because if I read it, then I get it, and then I mock cheat. you on the air. We've already I, we've, I, we've seen proof of this now. He will I've got cheat fucking if you eyes. give him an opportunity, he will cheat. I've got fucking eyes. I've got to start making rules so it's automatically forwarded to you instead of – because I can't trust you. And you, you guys – anyway, look. All right, Stubby Hold is pretty good. Even so good in the fact it is clinically proven clinically to keep proven. drinks cold. Clinically proven. Clinically and proven. 
And furthermore, the conditional release program stubby holder has recently been deputised a common law sheriff <laughs> and can make arrests of politicians you don't like. Hurl nice. Dan Andrews in prison in the morning and you'll be sitting back drinking icy cold stubby by the afternoon. It's in the constitution, people. Not that constitution. The other one. The real no, one. That one. The one that's 30 bucks from Wayne Glue, postage and handling extra. 30? It's over 100 anyway. <laughs> I thought it was only 30 bucks. I, to be fair, I haven't bought it. No, no, no one really has. We asked this just to I drop guess. us a line if they want to contribute to which Blackfield fuckwit said that. Mark to the attention of Jack at our email address, program at gmail.com. Bury the quote. And now we bring you a segment featuring people who bought a law degree on the internet from a man in Tasmania called Professor Freedom Pants. <laughs> it seems legit. Oh, it has yeah. a logo and everything. I mean, yeah. like, what could possibly be wrong with this? A good lawyer will have attended the School of Hard Knocks, and this one has had a few too many hard knocks along the way. It's time for Sobs, It's Fear the Man. We fired you. We sacked you. We dismissed you as what? As garbage, because that's all you are. You're a criminal. You're a traitor. And you're going to the biggest barbecue in history. So from Christmas dinner to you are the dinner. Thank you. That's what I'll go with. And a big thanks to Isaac for this one. And while we did get it sent by about a million people this week, he got in first. So thank you, Isaac. Thank you, Isaac. Yeah, what do you get when you put a rugby league prop and the free man on the land movement together, Joel? Mm. You get a big unit hitting up hard on the cops and a magistrate while demanding his constitutional rights that go back to Bible days. On February 9, Brent Kite who won the Churchill Medal for Manly for being best of field in the 2008 NRL granny, was a free man travelling along the land when he was pulled over by the New South Wales cops for a random breath test. He declined to lower his window and show his licence, claiming the random stop was a breach of his constitutional rights. The ones he learned about on the internet. (laughs) This obliged the wallopers to break his window and drag him out of the car. It's a bit of a tall order given the prop must weigh a good 110 kilograms. (laughs) And looks to be as fit as he was in his playing days. You know, wouldn't have been Yeah, that's not good. He did return a negative test on the breath O at the local cop shop. Well done. But he was obviously charged with a number of offences. On the 1st of March, the former Dragon Sea Eagles and Panther star faced a magistrate at Queanbeyan Local Court, charged with refusing to show his licence to police, driving an unregistered Class A motor vehicle on the road, and using an uninsured vehicle on the road. He represented himself, of course, as you'd expect him to. (laughs) As you do, as you do. Claimed the court had no authority. Where's your deeds and titles, magistrate? <laughs> when a bemused magistrate, his name was Roger Clisdell, asked Kite if he had joined the guy. Sovereign Citizens Political Movement. Good guess, Roger. Kite responded, you can't tell me what I am and am not. That sounds like a sovsit way of saying, I know you are, you said you are, what am <laughs> I? I? It's I'm a what classic, it's just a primary school to come back there. Like, well done, but... You're not. You're, they're not sending their best. Yeah, what he actually, what he actually did say was, "I'm just me, Brent, a living man. <laughs> the corporation has no authority over the living man." Yeah, handcuffs, though. Kite demanded the case be dealt with by a jury with two magistrates present, arguing it was a requirement that goes back to 
Bible times. And the magistrate, this is fucking great, who's had clearly enough of this football shit already, offered to cut himself in half if he wanted two magistrates <laughs> present. Too, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. very good. So good. Because the thing is, a lot of judges, like, they get caught up in this idea of respecting them, and they do these big, long-winded judgments about how, okay, this pseudo-legal gibberish is not going to work, blah, blah, everything nice to them. You know what? No. Laugh Mock. at them. Because they're funny. Mock them. Mock Good them. Bit of mockery. Good on you, Clisdell, mate. You're a fucking legend. Yeah, yeah, we like you. Magistrate Clisdell warned Cot he would not tolerate nonsense. It's not nonsense, mate, Cot shouted. I've been bashed and pulled out of my car before I've been arrested. Does that sound like due process? Ooh. Okay. He's got those legal issues. Big words. He's he's watched some Law and Order, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. LA, LA Law. He's big LA fan. Law. Showing your age there. Showing he also your age. claimed the road rules were nonsense. And oh, there's there's nonsense again. And he wouldn't obey the instructions of this quote shitty little court. Unquote. Bit harsh. Bit harsh. Yeah, mate. It's actually nice. Got comfy chairs and everything. Yeah, bit of wood. Yeah. Later, Kite took to Instagram to explain himself. Of course. Yeah. Disclaimer here, he said, I'm not, or he wrote, I'm not an anarchist. You don't even know what it is. I've learned what my rights are and I will stand for them because I want a better court, better and fairer court system and government. No, 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 no. No, what you want is you want to make up the court system and government as you go along. Anything that you want illegal is suddenly a fucking hanging offence. Don't give me that shit. I'm not an anarchist. What does that even fucking mean? He went on. So as I did with the cops, I attempt to exercise my constitutional right to be heard in front of a jury of my peers or at least two magistrates. That's the reference to the Bible you may read in Canberra Times. Again, why is the Bible in court? Do those true laws still hold along with our constitution? I believe they do. No, Anyhow, the magistrate didn't like it. We are going ahead with a hearing in a few months' time. I can't lose... (laughs) <laughs> you can You can Have you have you seen Wayne Glue? He's living in a van down by the river <laughs> I can't lose Even if they slap a fine on me through ignorance I stood up for what I know to be true You know, yeah, okay. Brent, you actually can lose And oh, now yeah. we're dealing with traffic traffic matters here There's no question of imprisonment But the first two charges, unregistered driving And driving without CT pre-insurance Come with a maximum fine I think it's about 1500 apiece it was the last time I looked, and that was a while back. Failure to produce a driver's license in New South Wales comes with a maximum fine of $2,200. So all up, 4200 max, right? Yeah. That, that's, that's your worst-case scenario, Brent. Now, if you turn, turn up, wear a clean shirt with a collar, and be polite and respectful, plead guilty, the magistrate is not going to hand out the maximum. But if you Should. carry on in self-sit fashion, calling the magistrate mate, you almost certainly will. So, Brent, you can lose quite a lot. Maybe maybe somewhere around three and a half grand. Should be done for contempt. That's what I figure you're going to lose, that kind of amount. The magistrate has scheduled a hearing in June, and we'll keep an eye on that. His honour was exceedingly patient and urged oh, yeah. Kite to get a lawyer. No dice. Instead, Kite left the court saying he wouldn't be doing any of that bowing shit with the magistrate's <laughs> remark, one scrum too many ringing yeah, in his I'll, ears. I would say two scrums too many. He is clearly not doing well. It, it does beg the question, though, Joel, how would a present NRL player who was soft-sit line get on, you know, after being yeah. pulled up for a forward pass, screaming at the ref, you have no authority. No jurisdiction. Or flipping through the Bible. Hang on, let me just get the Bible out for a passage or two when the ref calls a penalty try against him. Yeah. Or demanding two magistrates 
and a jury of his peers in the NRL bunker before the try is allowed. I am a free man on the pitch travelling on my own 20. The tackle count is unconstitutional. Show us your deeds and titles. <laughs> Show us your deeds and titles. Only man, I, can't, I cannot wait for the NRL's first soft-sit player. I'm looking Not a past to player, a current one. He's going to just oh, yeah. beat you with the referee's gun. You, I rebut, I rebut. Oh, yeah. I rebut. Uh, yeah, I want two refs to tell me that. No, 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 no. Other refs. I, I still haven't worked it out yet. And if you haven't worked it out, keep asking the question. And keep looking for the answers. Because it's irrelevant. This week we have finally settled on the name for our middle segment that isn't the deeper dive, which no. was just a thought that we scrawled on the back of a beer coaster and it lasted for too bloody long. We called it deeper dive for fucking ages. Just it, it, brain fart, brain fart. This <laughs> week, and thanks so much to Harrow for this one, you've actually got a few other great ideas we're going to implement soon. We're just asking questions. We're just, just asking, asking questions, questions mate. mate. Just doing asking questions. Just, just asking questions, doing our own research. And this week, we are just asking questions to Daniel Morrison, who, as we said, a.k.a. Hamilton Hume, regular guest on the show, looking at the dark forces, or should I say old white man forces, behind mm. all these strangely cashed-up convoys and these sort of cultist communes that follow them. Yes, listeners, uh, and with me today is Daniel Morrison. And Daniel Morrison has been a contributor to the Conditional Release Program in a number of areas. His particular expertise is around uh, the propaganda tools used by organisations to get people within what we might broadly call the freedom movement uh, on side, to get them thinking the way these propaganda organisations would want them to think. G'day, Daniel. It's good to have you on. Thank you for coming. G'day, Jack. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, mate. Uh, today we want to talk about the, the not quite specifically, but we're going to start with a focus on the the Canada truck, which has brought the the, uh, the Canadian capital to its knees and blockaded the uh, blockaded the city with essentially no more than about two or three hundred trucks, as I understand it. Hmm. What we thought, what we saw, Joel and I covered this in the condition release program several weeks ago, and uh, what we what first caught our, our, our eye was that the organisers of the rally had been able to raise $8 million, that's actual cash donations, in the space of about four days. Um, that sounds extremely high, doesn't it? Um, it's uh, not an insignificant amount of money, certainly, yeah. Yeah, and in such a short space of time. Now, what they would have you believe is, is that this was basically heartland money uh, handed over generously by the citizenry. Let's start really, go back to the start with crowdfunding groups particularly. When someone uh, sets up a crowdfunder, whether it's GoFundMe or one of the others, they set that up with a purpose in mind and people can donate anonymously. Is that right? Yeah. So I think most people are familiar with the idea. They're typically used by, um, you know, uh, inventors or filmmakers uh, to fund projects, you know, like Kickstarter or to raise money for uh, particular charitable causes um, like GoFundMe. You know, they're just, they're a way for people to get finance from decentralized donations. They're, they're a tool, essentially, and they can be quite handy. But now, obviously, you know, they're private companies and they have terms of service. So if they see their product being used for bad stuff, like, um, you know, 
inciting an insurrection or funding defence councils for people charged with violent crimes, um, they can get kicked off the platform. You know, just like with Twitter mm. or YouTube. Right. And so just like with, you know, Gab and Rumble for Twitter and YouTube, uh, in the crowdfunding world, um, we get sites like uh, Give, Send, Go, which ostensibly is a, um, you know, it's for, for young Christians to uh, fund their missionary work, for example, or to... Um, that's how it started. Yeah. yeah. That's how it started, wasn't it? So initially we had a GoFundMe being being hit with this rather these rather large donations of... $8 million, I did notice that there was an expectation that uh, from the truck convoy organisers that they would raise $16 million. When a person goes through that process or an organiser goes through that process, they have to make some plans, don't they? They can't just say, look, you know, we're, we're just going to raise some money that we'll put straight in their pockets. Well, I mean, theoretically, yes, um, but they can also keep them pretty vague and it's, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to hold people through this stuff anyway. So, yes, mm. they can get caught on uh, on not you know following through on their word and that's happened a few times but also they can just say what their word is they can say you know this is for fuel and food or or whatever or mm-hmm. funding a particular legal defense fund and uh yeah that's just that they can make pretty serious amounts of money in, in in some cases and they can basically raise their objectives their cash objectives as they go can't they so this was this is what happened with the canadian truck convoy GoFundMe. that yeah i think initially they wanted a million and then two and then yeah there's no there's 16. no real limit um you know mm. historically when you're you know trying to make a film uh for example there is a, a number that you have in mind that you only need and mm. then you know you don't need to go over that but uh you can also just keep on raising it, and it seems like that's what they've done here. So the, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the Canada Truck Convoy organisers. The, they came from a group in Saskatchewan, which is a you know, Canadian province, a rather remote one, and a lot of them seem to have been uh, foiled candidates in the, in the Canadian federal election or supporters thereof who had been frustrated by the re-election, albeit with a uh, reduced majority, uh, of uh, Justin Trudeau, the um, uh, progressive hero. Yeah, so look, this is this is a really important question um, and we need to make sure that we're not missing the forest for the trees. So you yeah. know, we've got to zoom out and think what the overall goal of this whole thing is. So I hope that we can take a little time here because it does matter a lot. We've got to think, you know, who are the players in this world and what do they want? And mm. I mean, the players mm. are essentially conservative capitalists with massive corporations, often in the fossil fuel industry. And what they want ultimately is the freedom to make as much money as possible, right? And what right. gets in the way of that is uh, the government because the government regulates them, right? They make them fix their leaky pipes and keep their employees safe and pay them properly and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, this is before we get to the existential threat of things like action on climate change. But it's not just money either. It's also racism, you know? Like, where does all the anti-discrimination legislation come from, right? It's the government. They're the ones who said that uh, you can't ban people of colour from the lunch counter. Right, so the government really is the conservatives' ultimate enemy, which almost sounds like a strange position to us now, because generally the conservatives have the power to control the government, either through you know lobbying or bribes or think tanks or whatever. So the government typically becomes just another instrument of their power, serving corporate interests. So that's why it's the progressives who have been fighting all that. Mm. But you know, the arc of history is long and it tends towards justice. They can't fight that tide forever, and gradually progressivism creeps through, and this, of course, makes the conservatives furious because they're very accustomed to things going exactly their way. Thank you very much. So what they want to do is undermine the legitimacy of and faith in 
government institutions in general and the scientists whose recommendations they base regulations upon and the media ecosystem that informs the public about it all. Now, they have a lot of ways to do this and the conspiracy narrative is one of their most effective. So what they need to do essentially is to manufacture an entirely alternative reality. Right. Robert Evans uh, calls it weaponized unreality. Kellyanne Conway did it right in front of our faces, right? When she talked about these alternative facts, just this astonishing yes. normalization of a completely batshit concept. Yes. So basically, they call everything they don't like a plan for an evil communist new world order. Anything vaguely progressive is part of this sinister globalist agenda. Uh, QAnon was obviously a highly concentrated, turbocharged form of this, but it's been happening for a long time, from the John Birch Society to the Council for National Policy to Fox News, to InfoWars and all that. Now, as we know, the pandemic presented the perfect opportunity for this narrative, right? Because conspiracies looked more plausible than they ever had before. Governments did dramatically restrict people's freedoms for something which didn't seem that bad. It caused chaos. And in times of chaos, people flock to the simple explanations that conspiracies offer, especially when they're locked inside with nothing but time. They can often flock to the extremes. I mean, we could talk for hours basically on definitions, but I'd hesitate to to describe conservatives. Conservatives is going to catch all these days, isn't it? It is is broad, yeah. But what we're really talking about, I mean, there's there's almost a beauty to conservatism as as in its in its defined state but these are not conservatives really they are reactionaries aren't they they are essentially people further from the right than than they are to the center yeah, see, when you talk about the corporate world this is the problem it's this whole big melting pot right it's this soup where you do have uh, conservatives mixing with the reactionaries and not just conservatives but progressives yes. as well right yes, so that's that, that's yes. sort of the whole point yeah you know so these people i mean First of all, we need to acknowledge that there are people there with legitimate grievances, right? Like in the Australian convoy, you can see uh, truckers and nurses who were considered essential enough to work through the pandemic unvaccinated. Um, And now that the mandates are in place and they've been poisoned with all this disinformation to make them not want to get the vaccine, they've lost their jobs and their homes. It's fucked, you know, like they're in genuine distress. So these people have essentially been pounced upon and exploited by these far-right anti-government networks. And the worst part is it was the networks themselves who created the bloody problem in the first place by making people scared enough of the vaccine that they're not going to get it. So, you know, we see people there. To to sort of normalise that sort of behaviour. So, so yes, that's right. So when we get to a group, and and just to give people an understanding of what was going going on in Canada, it's rather a similar setup constitutionally to Australia where provinces exist rather than states, but uh, there is a federal government overseeing it all. The states have laws essentially, uh, uh, well, uh, conduct most of their uh, or, or a good 90% of the um, uh, of the health systems, for example, so they are responsible for pandemic management yeah. in no small way in Canada. We did have some, well, draconian by New South Wales terms anyway, in terms of fairly high rates of uh, vaccination across Canada, and still you had unvaccinated people not being permitted to enter essential services. There were issues uh, of management, of differences in management, differences in, in boxes that people had to tick as they crossed from province to province. Essentially, the federal government really only had a jurisdiction, Trudeau's government actually only had jurisdiction over over flight and uh, intra-provincial rail. Yeah. That was that was the end of their stuff. They're obviously not ones for, for, for that for that kind of nuance, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, it's just... It, it, we saw that in Canberra too. Yeah, so you, you had groups 
you know, groups essentially uh, protesting state powers in the federal sphere. Yeah. I suspect that's deliberate. Uh, in many ways, not so much from protesters, but in terms of the manipulation that it's that it's at work, because there's not much news to be made from um, boycotting Alberta. There's probably not much uh, footage to be made from 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 boycotting Halifax, Nova Scotia, uh, but there is when you get to the Canadian capital and blocking that locking that down. So yeah. when we get to our organisers. We've got a group of, of failed right-wing, extreme right-wing politicians, uh, well, political candidates, shall yeah. we say, not politicians. Yeah. Uh, and, and why do they move towards truck convoys? These people, as I understand, had no backing in you know transport industries or they weren't, didn't work in transport industries, but they're using truck. There's, there's a certain sentimentality there. There's also a logistical issue there too that great these great big rigs, if you get enough of them there, can close can close cities down. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, to their credit, they're, they're pretty effective, right? Um, they yeah. First of all, they appeal to this, uh, you know, this blue-collar aesthetic, which is, uh, you know, evocative of Trump's fake populism. And then, you know, as you said, they are, you know, big physical things and uh, and, and they can be effective. But just to go back to the, the organisers yeah. that, that you mentioned, yeah. you know, one of the things that the people there say is, uh, you know, oh, they call us far right, but, you know, we're not far right. We're just ordinary people who've lost our jobs. This isn't an extreme movement. Mm. And, you know, there are, there are two important responses to that. First of all, we need to establish whether far right is a term that they are actually uncomfortable being associated with. Because I think that there is an unspoken assumption that it is, um, but yes, speaking yes. that may also be revealing. And if the answer is no, then the next point is, okay, well, you know, great. We know that you're not. And that's the whole problem because the people who are leading you here are. And they are pumping everyone with their content and material to bring you to their ideology. So the organizers are all far right activists, like um, you know, Tamara Like, uh, Lich, or, sorry, I, I don't know how to pronounce these names, but BJ Dicta, <laughs> Patrick King, James Bowder, Jason yes. the Face, they all have a really well documented history of racist fear mongering, right. mostly anti Islam, but also anti Asian white replacement stuff. And this is of course a common thread throughout the whole thing, you know. As we know, mm. one of the key organisers of the Australian movement is Harrison McLean. We all know where mm. Turning Point and Joel Jamal and Ricardo Bosi and Malcolm Roberts and Craig Kelly are all coming from. And in you know, in in one of the Cafe Lockdown live streams, uh, there were guys like Richard Wollstonecraft and Damian Richardson and David Thrussell who were openly discussing white replacement um, and how multiculturalism was a plot by the globalists to eliminate the superior white race. Now, to be fair, to Michael's credit there, he did push back and say, nope, I don't agree with that at all. I love multiculturalism. But the fact that those dudes are there on that Zoom is the point. You know, Michael isn't kicking them out. He's continuing to give them that platform to talk to his vulnerable followers who are looking for someone to blame for their problems. We have a right-wing group in Saskatchewan who decides to um, uh, create a truck convoy. Now, on their own, these people... And we already know this from the Canadian election, uh, couldn't organise a, a piss up in a brewery. So they need support. They need funds, don't they? They need the ability, they need the, the assistance with political organisation. Well, see, this is the other thing because the, the other genius of trucks is that they don't actually need that much money, you know? No, that's and that's right. so these, these, um, uh, crowdfunding things are a good way to get the pocket cash, you know, cover f- fuel and, f- and, and food and whatever. But, you know, it doesn't take much to just drive your truck to a bridge and park it there. And then, you know, you can have a ridiculously outsized impact. Um, and, you know, that's that's something that, that we've got to um, be aware of because they are physically effective. They can block off supply chains. You know, the first step in a war is to disrupt supply chains. And they've just shown that they've figured out a way to do that. And that's, you know, that's probably what's going to happen. Just, 
just to give people a, a, a bit of background on on the Canadian trucking industry, it is an industry with a very he- with a, with a very heavy n- uh, number of employees or percentage of employees from who are South Asian migrants. Right. Uh, very few of whom, very few of whom, have, have engaged in in the uh, in the protests themselves. Uh, they have other greater concerns as people working in the transport industry, truckers particularly do. Uh, that is overwork, dangerous conditions, the fact that you could leave your home on a big rig, take a big trip, roads aren't great, and yeah. you're driving too long. You know, very dangerous job it is. Those would be the main concerns. Those are certainly the main concerns of the major. Um, uh, Canadian uh, trucking and transport unions, yeah, who, Mm. who, again, had nothing to do with this particular protest. But they, I guess, now we're getting back to that crowdfunding issue. So the GoFundMe raises $8 million uh, in the space of four days. And we know now that a lot of that money was not coming from blue-collar uh, a, a Canadian sentiment out of, out of out of blue collar Canadian sentiment, but it was coming from American far right groups, wasn't it? Yeah. So I've got some of the numbers in front of me here. Um, I've got uh, ninety three thousand individual donations, fifty six percent of which were from America, twenty nine percent of which were from Canada. But on a dollar basis, most of it was actually from Canada. It's four point three million from Canada and three point six million from America. The biggest was two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars from some from an anonymous donor. And then you got people like Thomas Siebel, uh, who did put his name to ninety thousand dollars. If you take out those top two, it's an average of about ninety dollars uh, per donation. So so there there was some organizational donations there, two two rather substantial ones. While we can get get a handle on some of the donors, there there was something very secretive about this too, because we know that um, a lot of the the, the the promotion of the of the convoy itself, uh, and indeed the fundraising around it, was driven by a hacked Facebook account that was owned by an almost stereotypical old lady in Missouri. Yeah, so this is where you know it, it, it starts to get even messier, right? Like t- tracing this stuff back. Can, can be really tricky because I mean to me it's almost it's it's not just about the funding it's about the information right it's about the information yeah. that's motivating these people yes. and you know funding can be used to refine that information and to hire you know a Bangladeshi marketing firm that can then hack the account of this woman to then start these Facebook groups to radicalize these people but that's sort of always going to happen what What's really going on is that they basically pump all of this disinformation content through whatever means they can. You know, they use Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram. And when they get too extreme for that and they get banned off there, then they, you know, first of all, cry about being silenced and censorship. And then they just go straight to Telegram and BitChute and Rumble, which was, of course, funded by Peter Thiel, because that's a tool that he recognized he can use to advance his ideology. So, you know, it's not necessarily $50 from a family in Taree that's making a difference here. It's $10 million Mm -hmm. from a dot-com billionaire to provide the platform that manipulates that family to give that $50, which is the problem, you know? And then this all gets boosted by these Bangladeshi marketing firms and any other Russian troll farms or whatever that might benefit from a disintegrating West. And now here we are, you know, we've got this massive radicalization machine and its goal is to convert that radicalization into mobilization, um, which has now mm. begun to do. That's what January 6th was and that's what the convoy now is. Yes, indeed. And we'll talk about that just a minute, what the objectives might be. But but we also want to go on and say that, that GoFundMe 
decided that the that the paperwork from the organisers just wasn't adequate and shut down the GoFundMe with $8 million raised at the time, right. with a lot of that going being passed back to charity or passed back to the original donors, passed to charities or passed back to the original donors. Yep. And then they went down another route, didn't they? The protests? So the-, the go, not the GoFundMe, but, yeah, the protesters actually chose another platform yeah. for funding. yeah. And they just raised it on, on, on Give, Send, Go instead. Give, Send, Go, yeah. as we discussed, has a sort of Christian right background. And it was also hacked, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, and we got to see the data of, of where a lot of it comes from. But this is why, you know, you end up playing this sort of game of whack-a-mole, right? Like you pop down, you smack one and then another one just pops up. And and, and this is why I think it's important to, to, to look at that the information aspect, you know, and, and where it's coming from, because they're always going to find another avenue of making the money. And even if they don't come up with these crowdfunding things, it's Simeon Boykov can just rock up with a suitcase full of cash and just drop that in the middle of it, you know? Like, there's just, there are yeah. ways for them to, to raise money. There's always going to be ways it, for them to it, raise it's, money. It's easy enough. Exactly. I, I guess the, the fact that, that, that whether it's uh, uh, protests in Canada, freedom protests in Australia, there always seems to be. You know, people who've just got fifty dollars to throw in the pot, and 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 they are, you know, they are sort of, I'd say, those blue collar donors in many ways. It never ceases to amaze me just how much money uh, people raise. Uh, you know, um, you mentioned Cafe Lock, the lockdown. They, they raised fourteen thousand dollars when they asked for a bit of help just to get them, yeah, you it's, know, it's, some it's, petrol it's, money it's, and food to, to Canberra. You pretty know? amazing what they can do. And you know, that that fourteen grand, it might not seem like much in the scheme of things, but well, luxurious drive. They help people feel involved by mm. you know, they, they give people a way of putting their skin in the game, right? They, they, now they feel connected to it. And I think that that's yeah. a, a factor as much as anything else. Yeah. Uh, it's also yeah. good content that, you know, they can post and share and they do raise a bit of cash, uh, which, you know, always helps. Um, mm. And also for us, they give us an idea of where some of that energy is coming from, right? So especially if um, people can hack them and we can see where it's coming from, um, then, you know, we can then use that for our reporting. When we look at objectives, these, these objectives are, are pretty forlorn because you've got in the Canadian capital, you've got trucks basically shutting it down. You've got perhaps, I think, five of the 10 provinces have now said, look, we're going to look at our uh, vac- things like, things like uh, vaccine passports and mandates yep. and, and mask mandates and so forth. We're going to look at all of this. But it was always down to those individual governments to make those decisions anyway. Yeah. So I put it to you that the organisers have a much broader objective and that objective is to essentially bring governments down, if not down, then at least place them under such pressure that perhaps uh, your your workaday Canadian voter is going to look at this and go, oh, maybe I'll vote differently next time. Uh, well, ex- exactly. But there yeah. is political electoral pressure at play. I mean, this is a recently elected government, but now they're under the pump and they're yeah. polling badly because of this great morass in their capital, in the administrative capital of, uh, of Canada. That's exactly right. And this goes back to, I mean, this is why I wanted to zoom out at the beginning to, to put it in the context of this whole anti-government yeah. thing, right? They want to bring that government down. But before we even get to that level of extremism, because, you know, it's shifting the Overton window, right? It's like it's normalizing this level of extreme or taking steps to normalizing this level of extremism and this kind of action. But before we even get there, we can recognize that this is basically being used to attack any politician who's to the left of Donald Trump, 
basically. So, you know, yeah. Dan Andrews and Justin Trudeau and Jacinda Ardern and Macron or any American Democrat, all of these groups have been desperately looking for anything that they can use to attack these people. And then obviously the pandemic comes along. It's just the perfect opportunity. It's weird that Scott Morrison has been caught up in it too, but I think that's largely an Antipodean anomaly, really. I think that most of them would probably agree with him politically, but they just need someone to rail against and, um, you know, he's pretty easy to dislike. I think that if it was a Labour <laughs> Prime Minister, then that protest in Canberra would have been five times the size. Yeah, look, possibly. Um, Possibly, yeah. Look, it is interesting that, you know, as Joe and I have discussed perhaps flippantly, that, you know, that that, that Scott Morrison is actively seeking the preferences of people who openly declare they want to hang him. Yeah. It's just an unusual political relationship. (laughs) Those are the bedfellows you've got. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. And look, it remains to be seen. Uh, just how much, how how deep that enmity is against a liberal or coalition government in Australia. You know, we're about to find out in the next couple of months. Yeah. But really, when we look at this Canadian situation, we are looking at foreign interference, aren't we? That's 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 it of the kind that if it came from another government, be it in DC or be it in Beijing or be it in Moscow. Uh, there would be considerable alarm and ambassadors dragged before uh, foreign ministers and given dressing downs. But this is a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, you could say that for sure. This is why I, I, I tend to think of it and talk of it in terms of a transnational network, right? A transnational network of uh, of private influences because it's not, it's not state actors necessarily. It's these private, you know, groups. Um, who are influencing the state through their own operations um, to, you know, achieve their political um, agendas? And it's pretty—it's it's pretty fair to say that they see Justin Trudeau as, you know, Satan incarnate. He is the kind of leader of the progressive world, I suppose. Well, literally, yeah, yeah. yeah like I said, anyone who's who's to the left of Donald Trump is, is going to incur their wrath, right? And now they just have to make up enough bullshit based on enough grains of truth like you know some of the lockdown measures did seem like overkill even if they weren't Trudeau's call you know reality doesn't matter anymore yeah. we're well past that point yeah, so no, they can we, just we, we definitely say, are. Say, say whatever they want but yes it is it is absolutely foreign actors so so when we when we talk about the logical extension of that of that protest now it will involve at some point a pretty rough dispensation of law enforcement Right, so there's, yeah. you know, that's how that's how these things end, right? But yeah, and they're, and, and they're angling for that. You know, they're, they're looking right. to provoke an escalation. That's what they want. Um, and, and and we saw that on a small scale in Canberra, right? When the cops come through and go, guys, you got to move your car by the end of the day. And they're like, oh no, we're not going to do that. And the cops come back yeah. at lunch and go, okay, guys, just a reminder, you, you need to move your car by the end of the day. Go, no, we're not going to move our car. And then they come back at the end of the day, like, all right, well, we told you <laughs> to move your car. You're not moving it, so we've got to, you got to go. And they drag one. Oh, the cops are dragging me up. Oh well, yeah, of course. So, but what they wanted <laughs> they was just, that little. They literally, they literally <laughs> towed their vehicles 500 metres down the road to where there was free parking, you know. They couldn't have been nicer about it. But what they want is for then Rebel News to be able to come in, get that little yep. clip of the cops, you know, clip. taking something. Oh, oh, my God. So that's what they want, right? That's what they're angling for. And, yeah, you're yeah. right. We are going to see that on a on a much bigger scale. Because you can't have a major uh, a major national capital shut down for an indefinite period of time. No. You've got major economic consequences. The, uh, the Ford plant uh, in Michigan, was closed in, in Detroit, had to close for a while with some 70,000 employees. You had the Canadian version of uh, of the Ford plant with uh, some 7,000 workers not being able to work, uh, essentially laid off during a pandemic. These things are cha- supposed to be chaotic. You're, yeah. you're basically driving that chaos to a point of conflict yeah. where law enforcement, driven by government, is going to 
is going to have to um, bring out the bring out the batons and and uh, and the water cannons. You know, yeah, and, and and this is what they want. You know, this this goes back to yeah. your um, you know, your point about how they just want to try and bring down the government. And if you if you create enough cracks. Um, then that's that's sort of how they can do that. So then there's a question of you know what a, what to do. Yeah, it, it, it'll bring it down incrementally. They're not going to if we take it into a Canberra context, and we'll move to that just in a minute. But if we t- they're not going to storm in into Yarrawumla, and and the Governor General is going to obsequiously you know uh, terminate terminate the current government and call elections. Those things are never going to happen. But what happens incrementally is a lack, a loss of faith in political institutions, a a, a a loss of faith in the government of the day, which may or may not be a bad thing, but it but is essentially driving, and I, I would say a, a lot of unpopularity with with the Morrison government at the moment. And so you do have potentially you through these sort of tampering and tinkering this incremental change that once we do get to to the ballot box that the, the ballot box will reflect perhaps that minority view in an amplified way yeah that's all it takes is a, a a few votes or a few preferences in the right seats in the right place and you can you can make a big difference you know we saw it in 2016 we saw it with brexit and it completely changed the course of the world now the canberra the canberra rally was it was a different organization we, there was no sign of any foreign money certainly not in any substantial way yes there was foreign money i should say that there was a lot actually a lot of money coming from canada but there's this sort of diversity within the freedom movement in australia that that means that there are at any given time up to 25 different crowdfunding donation drives underway. You've also got a sophistication, it's just a level of sophistication among some groups, including um, RDA, who you just donate to their website. No one sees how much is donated in total. Uh, we saw that when uh, Monica uh, Smith was arrested, uh, that there was a sum of $300,000. That was not through a crowdfunding platform. That was done directly through their website. And then once they got to $300,000, it was an embarrassingly large amount. So they took the donation, the, the total uh, uh, figure of uh, donations uh, given down. So you've got this sort of hidden side of things, but you've got this proliferation. We talked about Cafe Lockdown. Of course, there was uh, James Greer who started the first GoFundMe that raised, correct me if I'm wrong, something like 140000 160000 I should say. Hmm. Without anyone really having any sense of where the money was going. Yeah. Um... So that's a grift. <laughs> Do we separate the grift from the manipulation for political means? I mean, they, it just seems to me that a lot of the Australian uh, figures in the movement are grifters. Grifters first. I think there's certainly a component of that. Yeah, but I think that it's um, you know, I don't think that that fully describes um the entirety of what we're seeing. And no. this is why I think that you know, arguably, a more important um thing to look at than than the money is is where the information is is coming from. You know, like what's what's actually motivating these people. And you know, what we see when we look because you know, like you said, when you're looking for foreign interference, you can look at the receipts of the donations, and you might not see much there. But that doesn't mean that there isn't foreign interference happening because you don't know what's actually influencing these people. Because when you look at the Australian convoy, for example, it's basically the result of a QAnon operation. One of the main organisers is this guy called uh, David Guru Graham, right? And when you go back through his content, he's literally talking about having inside information about tunnels and election fraud and Hollywood Satanists and, yes, literal QAnon, like like actual Q. He says that he's gone on a few live streams with a few guys in America and, you know, then it gets a bit more energy. He does a live stream with uh, Pat King from Canada in January 
and then suddenly he finds this Jim Greer guy who's driving from Perth to Canberra. They team up with Ryan Harder and that's the genesis of the conflict, right? So before any money gets involved, it's Guru being influenced by these QAnon narratives, right? Then a couple of weeks later, you've got tens of thousands of people marching on Parliament House talking about hanging the pedophiles. So that's, you know, that's what we're seeing. Yes, the money matters, but in the scheme of things, you know, we really need to address where the information is is coming from. The guru is, and this is what we saw. I mean, look, the, the guru sort of does command a, a fairly fairly strong, fairly some fairly strong numbers again through that sort of Ricardo Bozzi arm. I mean, he Graham says that yeah. Bozzi comes along as a favour to him. Yeah. But yes, so there we see that narrative. So we might see a group arrive, and it's a really hard thing to define that group, what their it objectives is. are, what they're all about. And they're so fractured now as well, you know? Yeah, we might say a third of them have devoted their, their energies at this protest because, you know, they've been victims of, of vaccine mandates. They're anti-vaxxed yep. people, I suppose, uh, who have perhaps lost jobs or lost uh, financially in some way because of mandates. And that seems to me to be a reasonably genuine form of protest. Yeah. But then we get to this other two-thirds, and it's, and it's again, it's a sort of, I described as a sort of potpourri of human grievance. But a lot of, a lot of it is driven by this sort of Q-aligned cultishness, isn't it? You know, the, Yeah, absolutely. The, the, there was a magnificent moment where someone was filming a live and talking to a guy who looked sensible, looked rational. He, he was asked why you're here. He said, look, I'm here because of vaccine mandates. I have concerns. I've, I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about vaccines. It seemed rational enough. And then a woman came up behind him and just started screaming pedophiles, just pedophiles over and over and over. Yeah. And that to me, was encapsulated what this protest movement is about and isn't about, you know, because it's really not about vaccine mandates anymore. It's about a a complete loss of faith in government, uh, a a complete loss of confidence in in, in our political institutions, including the courts, and a a clinging to of bizarre sort of cult-type beliefs. And this goes back to what uh, we were saying before, where, you know, it's that melting point. The, the, the melting pot it's the bringing together of those two people and then they, you know they join each other's telegram channels and then that crazy lady slowly begins to radicalize that guy who did seem pretty reasonable talking about yes, the vaccine mandate that's the thing I mean it feels like we're kind of pretty lucky in Australia that most people are pretty laid back you know we don't have this uh, it, it's not as virulent as it is in America but the concern mm. is that you know with this stuff going on how much longer are we going to be able to to say that for before this stuff continues to uh, to escalate because you know, these people have resources to continue to uh, to, to radicalise people, to, to, to ramp all this up. They're not going to stop. You might have seen yesterday that uh, New South Wales police presented evidence at court, uh, Rafella, who was involved in a, a siege in Windang uh, in the Illawarra, and uh, the police evidence indicated that he had been radicalised essentially online, uh, driven to adopting uh, far-right and neo-Nazi sort of an ideology. It also is also found uh, in possession allegedly of a significant amount of child pornography. Oh, so hell. that's the even stranger thing is that that fellow would have been screaming, you know, <clears throat> what's save happening the to the children? Yeah. Save the children sort of rhetoric while engaged in basically the traffic of child sex material. Yeah, I hadn't seen that story, but sadly I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, look, he, he let rip. Um, look, it, it happened very early in January. He let rip with a high-powered rifle, uh, which clattered into a house three miles away. Oh, Jesus. Then got into, a, got into a cafe and commenced a siege with two people inside there that went on for 
for several hours before uh, before he um, uh, gave up to police and then they conducted the search on his home full of Nazi paraphernalia, swastika, swastikas, Nazi flags, etc., etc., Child, child sex material as well. Uh, and according to the evidence that was presented at the first hearing, he's been denied bail, this fellow. According to the New South Wales uh, prosecutors, they believe that he was radicalised online. He may have, well, may, may well have had some significant personality deficiencies in the first place, but he had been driven down this path essentially by the pandemic and pandemic management and the issue of vaccines. Yeah, and this vicious mind-fucking machine, you know? that just pumps these vulnerable people um, with this exact propaganda. It's devastating. That's the greatest threat, you know, and I'll, I'll ask you to, to address this too, but for me that's the greatest threat that we have, that you, you're right, that we are sort of laid-back people. Um, I, I spoke to a senior politician a couple of months ago, quite alarmed at what was going on in Canberra, particularly with the, you know, sort of faux Indigenous protests there around the old parliament, and, and he said trusting trust in our gun laws and trust in our security agencies. Well, you know, it's it's a pretty big leap of faith. Mm. But that's where, our, you know, we are laid back and even some of these cookers as, 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 as deranged and deluded as they are aren't going to step up to the plate and commit acts of violence. Um, but there are some who will. Yeah, I think one of the interesting points for, from the uh, from the convoy protests was when uh, when Malcolm Roberts is is standing up and and being the voice of reason, <laughs> he got up after, yeah, no, um, no. Or, or even Hoodie got up after uh, after Guru yeah. and said, honestly, if that's what you're here for, then I then I'm done. And you know, he seems sincere about that. The you know, it really does speak to this uh, this gigantic chasms that they have in this movement between the people who are there for the satanic pedophiles and want to tear down the government um, and the people who just, you know, don't want to have to get uh, vaccine mandates. No, look, I'll ask you to comment, but I'd suggest the greatest threat would probably come from people who aren't there. Uh, sure. People who aren't in Canberra, haven't been to Canberra, people who are sitting down watching lives. And, and that leads to that, you know, that sort of lone wolf theory. I, I believe that's where the real danger is. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, and there is a very, you know, a very real risk of that. Not just here, obviously, but but around the world. You know, we're we're, we're going to see this kick off in in America now. The, the, mm. I can almost guarantee that we will see a convoy go from you know California to Washington or whatever, and it'll pick up a lot of people along the way. Um, and it'll be one of the most effective political campaigns in history. You know, and 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 we won't even be able to know, you know, exactly who it's, who's doing it and, and where it's coming from because it's all obscured by this digital disinformation. Yeah, I mean that's a manifestation of it. That's that. That's the driving force. So, I mean, I was just going to add that Austria has brought in a universal man, uh, universal uh, vaccine um, mandates uh, for all adults yeah. because their, their vaccination rates were too low. Um, Austria, or without wanting to be, a, you know, sounding like impending doom, Austria, I, I, I think, is one of the one of the highest gun ownerships per capita. In, uh, in the world. So you can see these things sort of looming as, as potential problems. And, of course, in Austria and elsewhere in Europe, you've got the far right sort of dragging people in, uh, in, yeah, in, in the ways you're talking about. So you've got, you've got problems. You've got problems with lone wolves. You've got problems with uh, the sort of political organisation or a sort of amorphous political organisation around protest groups. And then you've got behind them, you've got these manipulative groups driving them forward, taking them to places where they may not come back from. And these groups, it must be said, are using extremely refined content, right? Like they know exactly how to clinically manipulate people through this, um, you know, 
this content is almost designed in a lab. Like the, the amounts of data that Cambridge Analytica have on psychological triggers, uh, which can then be used by firms like Topham Guerin or um, Crosby Texter or any of these people, like they know exactly what they're doing. Um, and it's very easy for them just to, you know, sprinkle the digital landscape with this stuff um, and continue to uh, to manipulate people. And it's very hard for us to trace any of that back. Would you? Would you? How does it compare with what 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 we might call a sort of traditional cults, you know, Scientology? Uh, yeah, you certainly see a lot Grand of parallels, Davidian. right? This is um, yeah. it's it, it's it's basically like those, except with um, vastly more effective recruiting strategies and vastly more damaging implications so <laughs> that's not a very comforting answer but that's uh, that's basically what we're looking at we are very much looking at cult dynamics ramped up to the to you know by a factor of um a lot <laughs> both in the recruiting and in the uh you know the damage that they can do yeah and, and we're seeing you know this sort of cult behavior in response so people you know throwing that last 50 dollars that that they have to their name into a bucket because they've been they've been led to believe that you know they have vaccinations part of a depopulation pro, uh, program yeah that, that I mean, what, what are they supposed to do right like they're, they're doing the right thing no point having money in the bank if the world's going to end if yeah. they think that parliament is full of pedophiles and by all means you know absolutely yeah. you, you have to go in there and get them out what else are you supposed to do like they're yeah. doing that's this is the thing. This is what happens when you just create this alternative reality. You can get people to uh to, to do anything. What's that quote? If you That's can right. get people to believe absurdities, you can get them to create or, or commit atrocities, right? I suggest perhaps flippantly, you know, that the, the, my line is that basically sooner or later all cults become death cults. And I really got a profound sense of that around the Canberra protest when it all had broken up and there was this group of protesters that arrived, I guess, with great uh, hope and uh and for that 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 they would be able to change the government that they would be able to drop mandates and have these ambitions in their hearts and be full of hope they really uh, were only to have it yeah. sort of dashed yeah only to have it sort of dashed in the sense of where do we go now yeah it's it's heartbreaking you know they they arrive and Speaking of cults, you know, you, you could see the uh, the love bombing, it's called. When the cars were driving into Epic, you know, the streets were lined. People were going, yeah, yeah, woo, so glad uh-huh. you're here. Welcome, brother. Welcome, brother. Yeah. And that's absolutely a, a, a cult tactic. And, uh, you know, you can see that in other circumstances, that would be a, a heartwarming community. You know, these people are fine. They're smiling and saying good morning to each other. They're sleeping together. They're all there for a common cause. You know, there's a lot of wonderful aspects to it. It's just a shame that it's built on lies that are going to destroy our civilization. Well, thank you very much, Daniel. I think that's uh, fantastic and where we probably should be leaving it. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Uh, you're a deep and profound thinker on uh, on the movement and uh, it's great to have you on. Pleasure as always, Jack. Anytime. Thank you very much. And Pete's really yep. fucked up this week, listeners, so much so that I'm refusing to give him an intro. You can get fucked. Fuck him. You'll find Fuck out him. all about it on the week in Pete Evans. And it has been a huge week in Pete Evans right. with power outage, Pete defying the odds and continuing to shitpost while the area he lives in is inundated with water. I mean, <laughs> he's up to his neck in it. But nothing, not even an act of God, is going to stop this man from posting disinformation. He just is unstoppable. He is a juggernaut of bullshit. So since last week, he's doubled down on his support for Putin and, as per usual, decided to take that red-pilled narrative without any sort of critical thought. He's not capable of that. He really just isn't. But let's face it. But let's face it. If Pete didn't pointlessly oppose Joe Biden and the so-called mainstream media on a conflict 
we would probably have him sectioned. I mean, the dude has opposition to fight disorder. Like, politically, he's a mix of a rebellious teenager and an angry two-year-old. So this week, Pete's really been dialing up the fear a notch with hysterical posting about vaccine reactions. And, like, the jab is dead set going to kill us all. Not him, not his mates, but it's going to kill fucking everyone else. And this does appear to be what he genuinely thinks. And the amazing thing is, is that he doesn't seem too bothered by it. Like, he's sort of upset in a way, but kind of not. Maybe he is a sociopath after all, but Mm. he seems much more interested in being right about it. He really, really wants to be right about this. Right about the deaths of millions or possibly billions of people. So he can say, I told you so. I told you so. Told you so. Told you so. Everyone's dead now. Told you so. What a fucking idiot. So look, a big thanks, as usual, to Reptilian Overlord on Twitter, who does amazing screen grabs. Definitely follow them. This excellent grab of Pete's hot take on the recent death of cricketing legend Shane Warne at 52 years young. I'm not going to play the clip because it sounds like shit. Fucking. Basically, I mean, like, Pete gives this usual vague as fuck analysis, claiming that he's spoken to several doctors who are saying that we're going to have unprecedented deaths due to the various vaccines. Blah, blah, blah. Deaths like we've never seen before. That's what he fucking said. We've seen heart attacks before, mate. It's a leading cause of death, you fucking moron. Like, what? Heart attacks aren't new. This isn't a weird vaccine a thing. Fucking scumbag. This freak. is a. It's just a thing. Like, the, oh, I can't even start. So he also claims we won't see the real outcome and side effects for three to five years. Now, look, I'm just going. I'm going by your count here, mate. You said three years. A year ago. Can we turn that down to two now? No, we can't. Because all we do is we set goalposts to shift them and you are just moving those motherfuckers. Mm. Three to five. Yeah, so you're just shifting out, shifting out. And let's face it, Warney lived hard and fast. He was never a healthy man to begin with. So old age was never guaranteed for the Sultan of Spin. 52 is, even with a hectic lifestyle, bullshit. Okay, it's more than 27. It's bullshit. It is interesting. One year for every tinny Booney drank on that famous flight to London. Mm. That's uh, that's quite a tribute to uh, to old Booney there. I'm guessing it's unintentional. Vale Warney, you very special character. And look, the moment I heard about Shane Warne's death, I felt that kind of weird sort of half sadness when a celebrity dies. You know, like, I didn't know him from a pack of smokes, but he was a true character and he was there when I was a kid and I think he was there for a lot of people's lives in different parts in weird little ways. But when I saw that he died from a suspected heart attack, I just fucking knew the anti-vaxxers were going to pounce exactly. all over it. Yeah. Every heart attack now is now theirs. They're just, just going to take them. These cunts. So, Pete, did hold back here. And if you listen to the audio, it's on Reptilian Overlord's Twitter. It's uncharacteristic of him to an extent, being vague isn't. But he did hold back a bit. But he's doing his whole, like, just asking questions sort of bullshit. If you want really good hot takes, just check out Dave O'Neig's comment section on his Telegram. Now, while Dave is out selflessly braving the flooded northern rivers, and, you know, maybe he's actually helping people out, but he's also asking for money and taking a lot of selfies. But we won't go too far into that, but let's say... If his phone didn't get reception, I don't think he'd be doing it. Just saying. Anyway, his posts are littered with absolute trash about Warney dying from the experimental jab, being a Freemason, and you blah, fucking blah, fucking cunt blah. Dave O'Neill. Ah, fuck yeah. But, Dave, I will give him this. In the post, he did not claim that Warney died from the jab. But let's face it, he's not moderating the comment section very well. And Mel Ann, the skinny psycho who, like, is 
just terrifying and wants to like eat Lance's babies or some shit. She's the voice of reason here. She had a go at the anti-vax crowd for claiming his death was linked to vaccination. And she's been the voice of reason wow. a little too often for my liking recently and may actually not be as insane as we thought. But like, where was this voice of reason happening in all these weird places? So let's go back to this. Pete is going full blast on the whole genocidal future thing. Surrounding these little posts here is this flood of paranoid hysteria being drummed up by Pete to basically convince everyone that everyone's going to die because of the vaccine. And why? Like, is Pete just this political fantasist with a death fetish? Is he just a gullible rube listening to fucking bad actors? I think that's the case. Is this just his way of becoming a cult leader? Because he so yearns to be one. You know, scare the shit out of people and give them the solution. Well, for people that take Pete Evans seriously, the world is a fucking scary place. I would be fucking terrified. Apparently the depopulation agenda is in full swing and everyone's going to die, including Warney and everyone who went near him. But don't worry, mate. It'll be fine. Peace, love, light, anxiety, fear, death. I mean... Get fucked. Yeah, go and get fucked, Pete. You're a cunt. But it's not all doom and gloom, Joel. For about 20000 you can buy a buy charger. Is that rubles? Yeah, I'd just pay him in rubles. That's all. I'd, I'd pay Pete <laughs> in rubles. Give it to him in Bitcoin. Here you go, Pete. That. Have some rubles, man. Yeah, and buy that buy a charger and fix the whole thing up. How reassuring. Checks uh, to be made out to cash. Do right. it in rubles. Pay Pete in rubles. Yeah, fuck it. So he's going to have a few problems banking them. Yes. Not they're worth much anyway. But, uh, yeah, that's how I'd be paying Pete. He doesn't even need them. fucking junk in rubles. And you have been listening to the Conditional Release Program with your host, Jack the Insider and Joel Hill. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. And if you've enjoyed our bullshit, throw us a five-star review on your podcast app. Jack can be found on Twitter on at Jack the Insider and Joel on at Crunchy Moses with a K. We set up a Facebook page. You can find it fairly easily. Just search for it. Like, we're pretty unique. Uh, promoting a podcast is easier said than done. It's really embarrassing when you do it yourself. It's that really weird midpoint where you really want to, like, you know, promote your thing, but it also makes it like a bit of a prick. So please promote for us. It's way more authentic coming from you. It just makes more sense. And the Patreon is up and running, and we ask listeners to consider throwing a few dollars our way. Yes, for as little as five bucks a month, you can access all sorts of bonus content. We're doing quite a lot of it at the moment. It's actually decent value. And if you give us enough money... You can watch us record the show. It's a backstage pass. Yes, we'll pass. have a guest along it's- next week, I'm sure, Joe. We will. We will. And if we get to 1,000 patrons, we promise we will buy our own big rigs, big fucking trucks, or at least big drive Big rigs on a convoy. Drive them to Canberra and just shout freedom from the window. Maybe pedophile and definitely yell out Trump won. Because he Trump did. won. Trump yeah. won. So join up yeah. at patreon.com slash the conditional release program. I need a new big rig, listeners. That's right. That's right. How is he going to get to the shops? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. And, you know, I'm going to be my old, doing my own traffic management. And finally, <laughs> all feedback, tips, and death threats should be sent to the conditional release program at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, even if it's simply to inform us that we have inadvertently joined a protest and we're now members of the Hitler Jürgen. I do have a terrific gymnastics program, though. You know, world class. I might need to lose some weight, Jack. I might need to lose some weight before I jump in there. Thanks, listeners. See you next time. See ya.